The Lifestylist, episode 85, featuring John Wineland. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. My name is Luke Story, and it is with immense gratitude and appreciation that I have the privilege to bring you yet another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. And I'm not saying that lightly. I really mean it, you guys. It is such a pleasure to be able to do this show, especially the one I got to do for this episode with a second-time guest by the name of John Wineland. Now, when we recorded this, which was a couple weeks ago, I had not experienced John's work. I had interviewed him once before a few months ago. That was a big hit. In fact, I think it's still my number three top downloaded podcast. I mean, people just really resonated with that first episode, and I enjoyed it as well. But that one we did on Skype. So, you know, I got I got kind of a, a, a sense of what John was about. But this episode, when we sat down in person in my home, we went, I think, two hours and 44 minutes. So obviously... That goes without saying, this is going to be a double episode, so if you're listening to part one, welcome. If you're tuning in for part two, you will have already heard that somewhere in the episode, and uh, you definitely want to go back and check part one if that's the case. There is uh, a lot here, and you don't want to miss any of it. But anyway, when I sat down with John in person and looked eye to eye, which is really the preferred way of recording for me, I really don't like doing it through a computer. I'm a people person, and and I just, you know, I have a, a much better time building rapport and really getting to someone's essence in an interview slash conversation if we can sit down and kind of breathe the same air in the same room. So I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And during this conversation with John, <laughs> the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, dude, I got to work with this guy. Like whatever he's onto here, I need in my life. And um, those of you that have been following the show for a while, I'm sure you've heard me mention that relationships, intimacy, sexuality, romance, marriage, girlfriends, boyfriends, all this kind of stuff, you know, finding a way to have a meaningful and healthy relationship with a partner is uh, something that I've been really looking at over the past couple of years and doing my best to um, to learn by doing it. And um, I wouldn't, I guess it's not something you ever really master, is it? But it's definitely the thing in my life that I feel needs some attention. And so I'm really working on that. So I'm sitting there with John, interviewing him and going, God damn, this guy's like, he's tapped into something really special here. So we did the interview, which I'll tell you about. But then last weekend, John was kind enough to offer me a space in one of his workshops. And the workshop was called The Art of Fearless Intimacy. And I was like, well, that's a misnomer because to me, no intimacy is fearless. It's terrifying. And that's really what the workshop was about. So it was just such a profound experience. It bears you know, um, explanation or it bears sharing with you, the listener, because it was just so profound for me. Honestly, it was so powerful. Essentially, I went there as a single guy and there were mostly couples, but there were a few, I don't even know how many people were in here because I never count, but it's quite a big workshop. A lot of people out in Santa Monica, a few single guys, and then obviously an equal number of single women. And it's, you know, you're not there to like meet someone. I definitely was not there for that. I'm there to really learn about myself and, and to learn how to have healthy intimacy, you know? And so you go through all these exercises. It was a three-day workshop and 
I got to be honest, like it was terrifying. Like it's so, that's why I say it's so funny that it's called like the art of fearless intimacy because the drills and the exercises you do with the partners and some, some drills were done with male partners, you know, for different reasons. And then the ones that were based on intimacy and really, you know, as they say, into me, you see for intimacy, um, were just terrifying, but also so rewarding and so profound. And I really, I grew so much, you guys, in this weekend. So I just want to express gratitude to John, not only for coming on the show, but just for the work he's doing. It's so important right now, I think, for all people to really learn how to relate to one another in a way that's authentic and real and compassionate and loving, but also being able to kind of own who we are and and play with that polarity, the energies of masculine and feminine energy. And this is something I've, you know, I've looked into a lot and read about over the years. Uh, David Data, the way of the superior man who um, John has worked with a lot. I think that's where a lot of his stuff comes from originally. It's kind of that school of thought. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, masculine, feminine, whatever. But when I got in this workshop and got to actually experience true, unadulterated feminine energy, and by that I don't necessarily even mean like sexual energy or anything like that, but um, just the power of the feminine, you know, the, the power that is Mother Earth, the power of creation. And the women in there were so courageous and so strong and beautiful and amazing and just... I was really able to see the power of that energy and at the same time reflect my own masculine energy to really be able to be still and strong and hold space for the counterpart energies of uh, the feminine. Stuff I'm kind of just really learning about, you know, but reading about it in a book, listening to it in a podcast, getting intellectually is a totally different thing than being in a room for three days and having these really intensive exercises where you get to actually experience it. It was heavy duty. And, and the takeaway for me, and I'll just share it. I mean, I get so many comments and email, you know, like DMS on Instagram, by the way, follow me on Instagram, shameless plug at Luke story. I do a lot of wacky stuff on there. Some of it hopefully inspiring or educational, but I get so many emails from people and messages saying, oh man, you're so real. And I'm like, I am. I, I just do my thing. You know, I just do this show. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I just do what I like to do. And I guess what I like to do is hopefully as real and authentic as I can be. So I'll give my, my takeaway from the experience at John's workshop here. And it's, you know, I don't know, it's pretty intimate to even share to the 80,000 or so people that will end up hearing this <laughs> shortly. But what I experienced was really allowing myself to be seen by other people and specifically the women that I did the exercises with in the workshop. There's a lot of moments where you really sort of bare your soul, not verbally necessarily, but just through eye contact and different things like that. And I just really went for it. You know, I just went, I just went all in and I didn't hold back at all. And I just really let myself be seen. And, and in so doing... I realized that I've done very little of that in my life. You know, I've, I've been very guarded and sort of avoidant of intimacy. And what was really incredible about that experience for me was allowing myself to be seen and then so revered, appreciated, and respected by the feminine energy or energies in the room, the women that were holding that kind of energy in that space to just have them reflect myself back to me. And it was so fulfilling. I, I mean, I can't even describe like the feeling I got of appreciation. And so that's part of it. But the real takeaway that I'm getting to 
which was revelatory for me and just so profound. I mean, I'm literally like, I came home and was looking on John's site, like, okay, when's the next one? I need, to, I need to experience this more. And I know this is a long intro, so please, you know, humor me here. But it was just, it was such a meaningful experience. I have to share it. It's just like, I get nothing out of promoting John's work. He's one of the few people I don't have some sort of affiliation with to support the show monetarily or anything like that. This is just my own heart speaking here. But what really happened for me was that I had this realization in one particular exercise where one woman that I was working with was just giving me like energetic props, man, was just showing me who I am in the best sense, you know, like the strongest, most beautiful, deepest part of me as a man. And I thought, oh yeah, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I need to find in a woman or find in a relationship, not her, like as a personality, just that reflection, you know, that um, appreciation, that respect, like that mm, awareness of another person of who I am and that complete and utter acceptance of me and unconditional love of me and who I am and what I was bringing in that moment. And so I thought, yeah, that's it. That's what, that's what I've been missing. That's what I'm looking for. And then the next realization, I won't even call it a thought because it was more like a message that was just delivered like a bolt of lightning to my head was that it's like, no, Luke, you don't need that from another person. That's, that's a reflection. You need to give that to yourself. And really what I found was in my life, I've been starving for that self-acceptance and that self-appreciation and that why it felt so good and why I had tears in my eyes and why it, it was so new to me and so satisfying and fulfilling was because I've spent very little time giving that to myself in my life, like that true acceptance, that true appreciation of who I am, warts and all, you know, self-acceptance and self-love and self-care. These are all like kind of new agey therapeutic terms that are thrown around and, you know, God bless all of us for throwing them around. But it was a visceral experience of going, no, Luke, this is what you need for yourself. And if you can cultivate this, I'm speaking to myself, or I guess you could say my higher self speaking to my personality. If you can cultivate this and grow this within you and your heart and embody that, then you will have no choice but to attract a mate that also sees that and appreciates that. And that's not to say that I haven't experienced that. I mean, I've had amazing women in my life that appreciated me and probably respected me more than I did myself. Not probably, for sure did. And I've had lovely, lovely experiences and, and I hold them dear to my heart and they're very meaningful. But this was just a new level for me of discovery, you know? So in that moment, it was just like, oh yeah, this is my goal. It's not about, even about like, oh, I need to learn how to have a relationship. No, I need to learn how to have a relationship with myself and to truly love and accept myself. And then it's almost like, whatever relationship with the opposite sex in a, in a romantic sense comes into my life or develops, that's just a bonus of the awareness and the energy. And I guess you could say the character that I'm building within myself. So it was heavy. And I mean, I didn't, I don't think I talked for two days, you know, it was just a lot to internalize. It was a really profound experience. So there's a 10 minute and 49 second intro for you uh, because it's just, it's, it's worth talking about. It was really beautiful. It was really cool. And I also just want to express my gratitude for John uh, and, um, and his partner and God forgive me, but I don't recall her name right at the second because I didn't write it down, but John's the one I did the interview with, but he had a partner that was equally amazing who was a female and I'll figure it out somehow and put it in the show notes. 
Uh, but anyway, kudos to John Wineland. So here's what this episode is about, y'all. And thank you for, for bearing with my intro. It was something I really felt in my heart to express. This interview covers John's concept of the six pillars of sexual and spiritual intimacy. But the funny thing is, even in two hours and 44 minutes, I think it was in total, we only got to three of them, but it doesn't matter because it was amazing. So we talk about the following topics, how the intention of sex determines the outcome, John's definition of true intimacy experienced as oneness, the fact that you must prepare your nervous system to handle intimacy. And this is a lot of what we did in that workshop. I was like, I can handle anything. I'm badass. Mm, turns out not so much. A lot of breath work and just really holding space in my body helped me to learn how to do that. And then how early trauma imprints your nervous system and makes that intimacy scary. That's why we need to retrain our nervous systems in order just to handle being seen and actually being in union with another person. Then we deeply explore, of course, the role of the masculine and feminine energies and how they relate and how to keep the polarity and attraction and excitement alive in a relationship. How a man can access his own feminine energy and still maintain his power and redefine his sense of warriorhood. Sounds weird, but I experienced this. It was incredible. The process of opening your physical body to facilitate a deeper experience of love. And the value of communication tools like Imago therapy, something I'm a huge fan of. It's just a matter of convincing your partner to do it with you on a regular basis rather than arguing or whatever. Why feminine energy craves being ravished. And the emergence of the modern conscious man. And I guess that first 10 minutes that I gave you is, is my version of that. That's my waking up, owning, being in a male body this time around. I, you know, I don't think this is probably the first time I've been a man. I'll probably come back in another meat suit and another incarnation as a woman. Who knows? We don't really know what happens on the other side. But for right now, I'm experiencing, you know, having a, a, a male hormonal endocrine system and a male body, male body parts. And learning how to um, live in that and operate in the world and really embrace that energy and use it for positive and use it for good and not be a doormat or a wuss while doing that. So it's finding that balance of being strong, but also being loving, you know, and that's something that we really explored in the workshop was the idea of fierce love. You know, that's masculine energy. It's loving. It's the energy that makes you willing to die for someone else that you love, you know, and that is truly a fierce love. So it is with much gratitude and excitement, really, you guys can see how enthusiastic I am about this episode, that I give you part one of two, or if you're listening to the, well, I don't know, actually, this is both parts. I'm going to use one intro for both parts. So if this is the first one, it's the first one, it's the second one, it's the second one. But I give you my guest, John Wineland, and uh, it's a really great episode, and I'm so excited that you're here to listen. Uh, my lovely listener, listen up. I've got an exciting announcement for you. I'm going to be hosting an event at the Soho House in West Hollywood on August 30th. And you, my friend, are invited. It's a free event. I'm going to be presenting my Mind, Body, and Spirit Solution program. Same one I just did a couple weeks ago in New York City. It was a huge hit. Tons of listeners came down and chilled. I had a blast. They had a blast. It was epic. I'm going to do it again in L.A. on Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. at the Soho House in West Hollywood. Here's the deal, though. If you want to come, it's free. It's all good. But you have to RSVP quick because legit, I only have a few spots available on my guest list. It's a free event. 
this list that I'm going to put you on if you make it in time is like the list that my friends would go on. But you're a listener to the show, so I'm dissing my friends. I'm going to put you on that list so you can come hang out because I want to meet you because I haven't met you yet. I've met all my friends. I see their asses all the time. So here's what you have to do. You got to go to lukestory.com forward slash contact and just shoot me an email on the contact page that says RSVP Hollywood. If you make it in time, I'm going to email you back the details for the event on the 30th. If you don't hear back, no offense, it just means it already filled up. So that's Luke's Talk at the Soho House West Hollywood, uh, Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. Go to lukestory.com forward slash contact. Shoot me an email that says you want to come and I'll do my best to get you in. Okay, and if you miss it, I will see you on the next one. Thanks. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my all-time favorite companies known as Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic make these amazing medicinal mushroom and herbal elixirs. So they're these little packets, really easy to transport, very portable, very potent, and very delicious. So they make a reishi, a chaga, lion's mane, cordyceps, etc. If you don't know what those are, you definitely need to look into your medicinal mushrooms. These are great drinks on their own or even to add to an existing concoction. Like I love to upgrade my Bulletproof coffee with Four Sigmatic products. And you may have seen this in my Supercharged Bulletproof Coffee video. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. It's also in the episode upgrade from episode one. But foursigmatic.com is the place to go to get these highly convenient, very powerful, really high-end herbal elixir powders. So go to foursigmatic.com and the bonus here is that I got you a little hookup of 15% off. How do you get it? You enter this code, the lifestylist. So at foursigmatic.com, enter the code, the lifestylist to save a cool 15% off. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months, and I've got to say, they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. There's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really inconvenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com, that's spelled with an I, Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20%. Check it out. 
For the better part of a decade, John Wineland, an L.A.-based speaker, teacher, and workshop facilitator, has been guiding both men and women in the realms of life purpose, relational communication, sexual intimacy, and embodiment. Known for his groundbreaking work with men and his vision to create 1,000 men's groups in the next five years, John travels worldwide teaching his vision of embodied men's work and deep emotional practice. John's embodiment-driven teaching draws not only from over 30 years' experience of his own Buddhist meditative practice, but from the deep lineages of Vajrayana, Tantra, and Kundalini Yoga, as well as the Taoist traditions of Iron Shirt to create a profound experience for men and women looking to create depth, passion, and boldness in their relationships and their lives. Welcome back to the Lifestyles yeah, Podcast, yeah, yeah. John. Yeah, nice to see you again, Luke. Good to see you, man. So uh-huh. I'm really thankful that you made it over today in person. I love doing in-person interviews. It's one of the reasons that I still live in LA. Our last was on Skype. Mm. And that episode, I think I emailed you, I think is still out of 75 or something that I've dropped is still around number three or four in Mm. popularity. Mm. So even on Skype, without like that nice in-person rapport, your episode crushed it. People really responded to that and have Mm. asked for you back. Mm. Cool. So thanks for coming by, dude. Glad glad to be back, yeah. People love to talk about sex. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you know, what's funny is my number one episode is John Gray. Mm -hmm. I think I called that one the master key to enlightened sex. Mm -hmm. That's obviously the number one download. It was a good one. But yours, I think, I named it What Men Want and What Women Crave or something, you know, like a play on your video that how I first found you on YouTube. And so I'm like, it wasn't that provocative. I think people must have just shared it a lot because it was so rich in value. So looking forward to digging in. Yeah. So give us a little bit of background for those that missed episode 31, your first appearance. Like, how'd you get into all this stuff? What's your story? Mm. So I teach, uh, it's sort of a weird way to describe it, but I teach spiritual intimacy and sexual intimacy. And I also teach sort of the men's equivalent of that, men's work, embodied men's work. And I got to it just through, you know, failed relationships like a lot of guys and making Check. A, yeah, making a <laughs> making a determination after like the third one in a row, I'm going to figure out something something's here, life is pointing me in this direction to work. And so I started following some teachers. I really fell in love with with one particular teacher, a guy named David Data. Started following him around for years. I work with him still, and I oftentimes will teach the men's portion, the men's work portion of his workshops. So I just kind of fell into that niche of like, how do you make relationships spiritually connected, embodied? How do you make your sex embodied? How do you elevate your sex life? So it's not necessarily what we've been doing for thousands of years, which is procreating and pleasure. And we move it into the higher echelons of deep connection, spiritual practice, energetic health, that kind of thing. So, so that's the, the pieces that I'm talking about today are going to be on how do you do that? Like, how do you raise your sex life to those, you know, higher echelons of practice? And then how do you create an intimacy in your relationship that allows it? Cause obviously if you guys hate each other, you know, or you're holding resentments, you're holding withholds, it's not going to be possible. So, so awesome, yeah. man. Cool. So, I can't wait to so dig I spend in. my time doing talking about sex and relationships pretty much most of the day. Such a rich platform to start with. <laughs> I mean, there's like, yeah. there's so much there. And as you said, this is something that I think just relationships in general, whether they be romantic, intimate, sexual or not, mm-hmm. to me are the ultimate spiritual teachers. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, it starts with mommy and daddy and, you know, we go through that 
our Freudian progression of life, as it were, and mm. then we find that we meet certain people that become our teachers too. And mm. um, I'm sure. I'm with you on this area in particular for me being a sticking point. I was talking mm. to someone before the show and um, telling them about your visit and getting some ideas on. Qu- she was a female, getting some uh, ideas on questions and stuff like that. And Great. and I was telling her, I said, "Man, I've got a lot of life pretty sorted out. Like I, I I'm you know, there's struggles and things mm. like that, but." The area of relationships is like, could fill this whole room behind me. It's just like this dark, mysterious thing. Like, how do you make that work? And Mm. I think a lot of people find that too. And also not only how do you make it work, but where does that fit into the life of a spiritual seeker, Mm. which I am. And that idea that not, you know, renouncing sex and going and living in a cave and not you know, being in touch with that part of your energy, that part of your body, I think puts a lot of people off from a spiritual path. So Mm. it's cool that you've, you know, I look forward to kind of digging into how those two worlds collide because it's really part of the human experience, you know? Totally. Yeah. You can't can't cut one off and expect to be a fully and wholly integrated human, can you? Yeah. Well, unless you want to live in a cave or a monastery or what people do, because if they want to just, you know, if if men, for example, or, or someone wanting to, to, practice masculine spiritual practice they would go into a cave they would renounce sex for a while and they would just be with consciousness just rest as consciousness and for a man for me that's fucking blissful like i love that but i'm not ready to live there (laughs) you know i want to give to the world i want to share love i want to open other people i want to experience high sexual art right so the choice i'm making is to bring consciousness through me i guess would be the way to put it into sex and what would that look like? Or how does that play out? You know, when you've got two bodies, right? A feminine partner and a masculine partner, how does that play out? And the body of work that I've been studying and then kind of riffing on my own experience talks a lot about masculine and feminine polarities and that true sexual art has a masculine pole and a feminine pole. And this is irregardless of gender. Like a woman can be fully embodying the masculine and a man can be fully embodying the feminine and they can create massive polarity or vice versa. They can switch back and forth multiple times during sex, but that arc of energy requires the two poles. And that arc of energy, along with certain kinds of awareness practice, breath practice, intentionality, like what's your intention for sex? is such a huge question. I, I just shared this with a men's group that I lead and I was like, so why do you want to have sex? Most of them are like, well, it feels good. You know, it feels <laughs> yeah. good. I like it. And, and, and if that's our intentionality for sex, then we'll have sex that feels good. Right. And that's about as far as it'll go. But if our intentionality is something deeper, like, I don't know, to explore the mysteries of the universe, if we want to just set the bar really high, <laughs> then, um, then we're going to have a, we're going to have a different kind of sex. It's different skill sets required for, Hey, I just want to have pleasure and I want to give pleasure, experience pleasure versus I want to experience God or I want to experience the depth of soul connection, you know, at a level that I've only dreamed of. That's a different skill set that we would need to bring in order to have that experience. That makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense because (laughs) the level of like the teenage boy sex Mm -hmm. is like engage, get to climax as soon as possible, done. The interaction is complete. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Move on to watching football or going to see a band or whatever you're into. Um, So yeah, that makes total sense. And I think just having been a spiritual aspirant for a number of years now, 
um, I've also been interested in having a deeper connection with my partner mm. and actually not really known how to do that. You know, there's mm. those sort of blocks that I've put up to protect myself emotionally. Mm. I've never, you know, up until recently really let anyone all the way in, let alone in, in the context of sexuality and right. the relationship, you know, right. it's like, yeah, sure. There was like a degree of lovemaking and closeness and openness, but not really, mm. I think yeah. even scratching the surface of what's possible in terms of merging with another soul where it's like the physical component of it is almost an afterthought yeah. and there's something much greater going on. So yeah. I'm super intrigued to learn more about this just sure. selfishly for my own benefit, you know, and obviously the watchers and uh, and listeners of the show. Yeah. Let's cover a couple of questions and then I definitely want to get into your six pillars work, which when sure. we, you emailed, you're like, well, we could talk about this or that. And I was like, that one, <laughs> which sounds really cool. Yeah. What is your definition of intimacy mm. in a couple relationship? That's a, that's a great question. Um, my definition personally is that intimacy is sameness, oneness. So forget sex, right? We can have intimacy with a child, with a dog, with a location. And it's really just the practice of becoming one with so the more that we can, you know, you and I can look at each other. And if I look deep enough in your eyes, I can feel your soul. The more I do that, the more intimate we become. The problem is, is that most of us haven't trained our nervous system or trained our capacity to stay that intimate, right? It kicks up all kinds of fear of like, oh, fuck, fucking looking at me, <laughs> yeah. you know, or it, it just, it just triggers any intimacy or any wounds that we have. So intimacy really is the removal of space. And then to get there, there's a lot of, you know, work of calming our hearts and calming our nervous system so that we can actually like stay and you know for longer than a few seconds like we can actually like look deeper and deeper and deeper into each other man that's cool there's yeah. there's so much there because i i wouldn't say i pride myself but something i really work on mm -hmm. is my eye contact and mm -hmm. my just ability to be present with another human being and it's interesting because if somebody sort of out vulnerables me <laughs> you know like you're you're very present like right. you don't veer like you lock eyes mm -hmm. you have this very open-hearted energy about you and when it's someone who's sort of like able to go there more than me i find myself retreating mm -hmm. and i'm my eyes will start darting and i'm like whoa too scary too scary yeah. whereas most of the time i'm the one that's like kind right. of more engaged with your average person that I interact with on mm -hmm. a, on a, you know, day-to-day -day basis. So I almost get intimidated by people who are able to be really present and are open to creating space in that moment, Yeah, which is an interesting observation. I don't know what that means, but it's just something I notice. you know, I find myself sort of getting dodgy if mm -hmm. I come up against someone who's like a, a match for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's absolutely natural. Like we all have, no matter how open we are, there's always people more open, you know? And so being with those people triggers something. Like there's a intimidation factor of consciousness. Like somebody who's more tapped into consciousness tends to trigger stuff in us, right? Whether it's being seen or being hurt when we were young. And so some of us have trouble receiving, right? Receiving love, receiving consciousness. And so that's just a matter of practice, right? Part of the work I do is in a lot of workshops where we'll get together and we'll practice receiving intimacy and giving intimacy so that our nervous systems can adjust because you know we'll get squirrely just like you talked about more often than not what you're describing is the natural human condition to deep intimacy okay good yeah. so so my neurosis is textbook no, you're, good. you're good you're good you know and and i have it too you know for example some women who are so in touch with their feminine and so 
capable of moving love through their body and light through their body, my nervous system, you know, I have to, I have to adjust. I have to ground myself. I have to feel my, my, my dantian. I have to breathe. I have to consciously relax my nervous system just so I can be with them. But if what we're wanting is to be with deeper, you know, most feminine practitioners I know want to be with more consciousness. They want to be penetrated by deep consciousness. Most masculine practitioners I know want to be bathed in love light. And so the more that we make accessible, we become sort of channels, let's say, the more that we're requiring, you know, others that are with us to elevate their sort of their game, their nervous system game and all of that. So it's really an endless lifelong practice of how to stay connected and stay deeply intimate. Now, if you take that intimacy, for example, this feeling of oneness, and then you add sexual energy to it, that's when the magic happens, right? Most of us can be intimate even with our partners. We can love our partners. We can be one with our partners to some degree, but there's not that arc of sexual energy. So the importance is to take both of them and and really deepen them as much as possible. And that's when real, real deep magic happens. So I think when you say intimacy to most people, it probably conjures up the idea of some sort of physical touch or some romantic or sexual connotation. But here we're sort of expanding our uh, interpretation of intimacy as maybe just being vulnerable, like being willing to be exposed and, o- and open get hurt. is the word I would open? use. Yeah. Okay. But in some moments that's very vulnerable. Okay. Like you might be open and totally like open in love. Right. And there's, there's some vulnerability there for most people, because we have wounds that, you know, get locked in our bodies through childhood abuse or neglect, or even good parenting fuck us up, you know, um, most of the time we'll have, as we open those vulnerabilities will actually start to bubble up to the surface. So, you know, the first, this kind of ties into the first pillar, since you mentioned the pillar, the first pillar is really to learn to practice opening your body and your nervous system so that you can be in the space of intimacy. I'm going to do it right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's funny though you say that because I actually, maybe it's part of like six years of Kundalini yoga Mm -hmm. practice, but I find myself doing that a lot, like physiologically just being mindful of my breath and, and really opening up my body language. I work yeah. with my own body language a lot. Like even just a second ago, I was sitting here with my legs crossed kind of cause it was more comfortable, but I was more, I was definitely aware that my legs were crossed facing you mm-hmm. because I want to stay engaged mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. I would never have a conversation with you and be leaning the other sure. way like that. Cause yeah. it just, I can feel energetically yeah. cut off. We'll have less intimacy. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. Have yeah. To because so you kind of you, you yeah, use your, your limbs there. almost to block. I mean, I really observe other people's body language all the time. You this know? is the one I see a lot in workshops. Like I'll put a man and woman in front of each other, a man, a man and a man, and they'll put their hands in front. Well, that's like just, cla- he's cla- for yeah, listeners. Yeah, just, he's clasping his hands. Yeah. Together. Yeah. So so you just can't. They'll put their hands in front, and you could just see it's an unconscious reaction to intimacy, and. You know, look, on one level, intimacy is just like recognizing our sameness. Like, I'm human, you're human, I have a heart, you have a heart, you know, I'm afraid, you're afraid. And and the more we can bathe in that sameness, the more we're going to feel like we're going to feel like bros, we're going to feel connected, we're going to feel close. And just doing that, people, the myth is that that just happens, right? You find the right person, or you get the right friend, or you have the right lover, or you have the right partner, that kind of intimacy just happens. Well, that's not the case. The case is, is that intimacy, like any skill, whether you're playing tennis or piano, requires, just like you, 
acknowledge like yogic practice, breath practice, awareness, like, okay, am I tensing? Am I relaxed? My legs crossed away or they crossed towards? Is my nervous system strong enough to actually maintain intimacy? So there's a set of practices and skills, and I call this the first pillar of spiritual intimacy because it's if we can't open our own bodies, then we're kind of stuck there. There's no, you know what I mean? That's the first responsibility as a sexual partner I have is to work on myself and come as the most open, aware, strongly, you know, my, with a strong nervous system, I, I should say. And then that way I can bring you the very best of who I am. Something that comes to mind as we talk about this intimacy and the closeness is boundaries. Mm. You know, this is something that has been really a struggle for me in my life because I grew up in environments where there were no boundaries. Just my parents didn't know what a boundary was. It's just anything goes, everything goes. There's just no safety, no security. And so it's weird, but I've been somewhat unavailable in my relationships and and you could say classically love avoidant mm. because well there seems to be a correlation between as a kid having no boundaries in the house so it's like i've had to make my own boundaries but at the same time i also sometimes have been too intimate too fast with people in my life and become vulnerable and not been able to really ascertain what degree of integrity the other party has, you know, in friendships and work relationships and romantic and everything. So it's like, for me, internally, there's this confusion of like personal boundaries and self-care and putting walls up and being too intimate at the wrong time with the wrong person. Mm. It's very convoluted. You know what I mean? So how does intimacy, I guess the question to boil it down is how does intimacy relate to having boundaries, like when do you know that this person or this relationship is safe for me to be vulnerable and intimate? And yeah. what's yeah. the risk of going there too fast? Once you sort of, you know, you, wow, my nervous system feels good with this and you sort of open your heart to someone or to a situation and, and become vulnerable and it maybe wasn't the best yeah. move. Yeah, well, that is such a rich question <laughs> because there's so many parts to that and yeah. I'll pick it apart from a few different okay. places. Okay. First of all, we're going to be destined in some way to recreate the patterns of our youth, right? Because that's our little nervous systems. We're so open. And if our parents didn't respect boundaries or were neglectful or abusive, our nervous system, by the time we're five or six, registers that as how relationship happens. And once it's locked in, it's like an operating system on a computer. You know, you can upgrade it and patch it and do things, but it's there. And it's a hard thing to just wipe out. You can't wipe the memory clean. So we're going to choose people who then help recreate this. I think we talked about this a little bit last time. And the therapeutic work with that is to become highly aware of what's happening in our nervous systems and in our bodies and trust our intuition. So I imagine in those moments where you let yourself go too fast too soon, I imagine there was a moment where you neglected your own boundary or didn't listen to your own intuition or didn't honor a red flag or all of those things. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's almost everybody, everybody, everybody. And what that is, is our compulsion to recreate, you know, what we What feels normal. Yeah. What feels normal. Right. Even if it's not healthy or it's right. Deleterious to our moral fiber. Yeah. It's like what we're used to. This is how you do it. I'd rather err on that side of being too loving than being withdrawn. Right. Right. And most of us tend to kind of, You know, but I see this a lot with women, especially like this. They're so hungry for love, 
or they're so hungry for being seen that they'll choose men who ultimately won't see them. And then that recreates the story of this is how love is. So that tendency is so strong in us that it really has to be dealt with first. And that's why, you know, just getting aware of, Hey, this is my, my pattern is I'm going to either avoid you or I'm going to like chase you like gangbusters. Right? So this is like the kind of the classic love addict and love avoidant. Sure. Model yeah. And, then, and this right? is how it, and this is how it shows up in, in, in modern relating. And if we just assume that we're going to do that, we can make art with it. Like we can play with it. I don't, I, let me, let me hold that. Cause I want to yeah. go back to your question, which yeah. is how do you know? Yeah. Right. So if we're open, if our bodies are open and our nervous systems are relaxed and we're really aware of this internal intuitive system that we have, we'll feel like, oh, that's trustable, that's not trustable, or that's safe, so to speak, that's not safe. Legitimately, like that's too fast or this is too slow. And we'll kind of know. So I think, again, it goes back to our own personal practice and allowing our nervous systems to really get comfortable with what safe intimacy is. This is what I try to recreate in workshops. Like we make agreements, we have a thing, right? We're gonna honor each other's hearts and, and we just kind of play in that edge of, oh, this is scary, but it feels really good. Oh, how long can we hold this and not have our heads explode? <laughs> and you play in that and you actually strengthen the muscle to be in that space with awareness. That makes sense. That totally makes yeah, sense. That's yeah. that's that's very cool. You must have done a lot of that because, as I said, you Tons. have like a you know very strong presence. I've had experiences in uh, Kundalini yoga workshops and things like that, which you know it's not like they're not called. Hey, this is the intimacy exercise, but it's whatever. It's just part of the set where you you know sit with your hand on someone's heart and they have their their other hand on your heart and you just stare in each other's eyes and there's a mantra or breathing or some crazy movement or whatever. Right, dude. Those type of exercises, I, I like them because they expand me and they're challenging, but they freak me out, dude. And usually if I look in anyone's eyes that's able to maintain that presence, what's going to happen is about a minute in, I'm going to start bawling. Mm. It's really crazy. It's just like... But that's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, it's like, I always go, "What? why is it uncomfortable? Like, what's the problem? What am I really afraid of? And I go down that rabbit hole and it's like... I think for me, it's just being truly seen uh, leaves the possibility of being open to being hurt or abandoned. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's like you yeah. said, it's in the nervous system because I know intellectually that it's not a reality. Yeah. I could sit here with you and we could stare in each other's eyes for 30 minutes and I could let you see my soul. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do anything to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can't do anything that would hurt me. You know what I mean? Right. But the minute this person has the opportunity of partnership then all that childhood programming kicks in. I see. And then we have to really play with, okay, so I'm terrified and I'm going to just let you see it. Right. And being in that space, like you're talking about, is really scary. I mean, it's just human. And um, It's sort of like skydiving. Like there's a certain thrill to it. Right. There's a reward, you right. know, but it's like, ugh, how right. long can I hang <laughs> before I divert my attention or divert right. my eyes? Because right. it gets so... <gasps> and then the, the answer is normally just practice. Again, we think like the big myth is that somehow there'll be a person who we feel safe with. And because of the nature of how we recreate these relationships, we'll just keep choosing people that we don't feel safe with. Or it's even more fucked up is we'll recreate the conditions of lack of safety. We'll make them leave us. We'll make them betray us. We'll make them do these things because that's what we 
know how to do. And then when they do it, we can once again have that experience of, wow, you know, this is what it is. And I think that with boundaries, to go back to your original question, was setting boundaries can be a deeply loving act. And when we're good at setting boundaries, we, people hate this word, but we're training our partners to love us better, right? Like, this is how much I can, this is where I feel safe. This is where my nervous system currently in its current state can manage intimacy. (laughs) And I need this kind of boundary or I need this to feel safe. And if our partners love us, then they're going to be, they'll be fine with the boundaries if they're owned. And the problem is, is that we tend to abandon ourselves before anybody else does. We'll neglect our own boundaries. We'll pretend they're not there and be codependent, or we'll do all these things that kind of betray ourselves. And then of course, we're going to just attract that out of the person we're with. How would you define uh, codependent? Hmm. I'm not a therapist, so yeah. So I think you're kind of on it. Like it's really about boundaries, like not honoring your own truth and putting somebody else's truth ahead of your own to the point where you aren't self-nourishing, right? So I've been really, you know, on this kick of nourishment. This first pillar of, of good practice is really about nourishment. Like I have to show up nourished. I have to show up with enough sleep, with enough practice, um, nourished and connected to my essence. So I'm a man you're a man, most men have a masculine essence. And I have to be connected to that essence in order to withstand the rigors of intimacy and feminine energy and all of those things. The if storm, I don't, the, the storm of feminine, feminine energy, yeah, energy yeah. Yeah. which men have just, especially our generation, have yeah. just as strongly as women. Men are just can lose their shit just as strongly as women. You know, it's interesting. You just reminded me of something. I learned so much from my fabulous guests like you, but I think it was the last time I interviewed John Gray, we were talking about testosterone and masculine energy. And he said, when a man is angry, that's the most feminine he will ever be. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that's when his testosterone plummets. And I was like, what? No, when you're like kicking ass and throwing shit across the room and putting your hand through the fist through the drywall and like going nuts. Like, no, man, you're like being too much of a man. You're too masculine. It's like, no, no, it's the exact opposite. That's ultra feminine. Wow. Yeah. Because he's lost his, his testosterone's dropped and he's lost his grip on his masculine energy. Yeah. And he's being overrun by his emotions. And when yeah. you're overrun by emotion, at least on the negative side, you know, mm-hmm. which I think we'd consider that rage and outbursts like that negative that that's when you're your most feminine i was like huh weird well if you think about it this way does that make sense to yeah you? yeah if my masculine your masculine the masculine a woman's masculine is the part of us that is witnessed that never changes right we talked about this last time right so masculine practice at its essence is me resting as consciousness and just feeling eternity right the more i do that actually the more testosterone the more dopamine my body makes, the more centered I get. But there's a chemical reaction that happens. They're finding this in neuroscience, man. They're going to prove this really clearly very soon. If I'm resting in my masculine essence, all it means is that I'm deeply connected to consciousness. And if I can embody that, then you'll actually feel it through me. You'll feel like, wow, this is a conscious man, or this is a present man, or this is a deep man, right? And because I've been practicing it so much now that it's now a trait. Well, if I'm resting, if that's my go-to trait, that's my state, and I have emotions, I freak out, I have fears and all of that, if I'm witness to those things, then I'm in my masculine witnessing my feminine, whatever, whether it's vulnerability, I'm witnessing it. 
if I'm getting on the train of that, meaning feeling it fully and abandoning this idea that I'm witness to the feminine, my feminine emotional body, then I will lose my masculine ground completely, which is what most of us do. We've never trained to be, to do the opposite. So in the first part, we were talking about how you practice this. Well, as a masculine practitioner, you fully feel that vulnerability. Like I'm scared. I'm scared. My heart's breaking. I'm afraid you're going to leave me. I'm afraid you don't love me like I love you. I mean, you practice own all those things, but you've got this tether in consciousness. And that tether in consciousness, the feminine will feel like ground, right? And that's, yeah. that's an, it's like a meditation, if you think about it. I know it, exactly yeah. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, Not that I'm always able to achieve it, but I definitely have spent some is. time yeah. there, you know? Yeah. But really good practice of, of being able to, and the more we rest as that as a spiritual practice, the more we'll know, like, that's a boundary I need. Here's my term. I like to call them terms. I think that men need terms, like... I need this in the relationship. I need this in a relationship. I need this in a relationship. Um, one, because I do want to feel safe, but others, I'm just, I, I want to be a hell yes. And I can't be a hell yes unless this, this, and this is happening. Right. Right. Do you think your ability to determine what your hell yeses and hell noes are is compromised by becoming sexual and intimate too soon in a relationship? I, you know, I do. I do. I think that there. I think that in order to get, and I always coach men like, wait, not only is it sexy, Dude, and it makes where you were crazy you 20 for, years right? ago when I needed you, bro. Right. No, I didn't always do this, man. This is like, <laughs> this is last 10 years, but I'll just say, wait, like wait three months, wait four months, wait two months and just get to, because if you think about it, the desire to jump into intimacy is our feminine man or woman, right? Any part of us that wants intimacy, wants connection, wants pleasure, that's our feminine. If our feminine is undisciplined, I guess oh, it's the wrong way to put it, but unchecked, then we'll make those decisions because what matters to us when we're in our feminine is connection, is pleasure. I mean, we'll sell our soul, men and women. Like I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Like, I know I shouldn't be with that woman, but God damn, she's a good kisser or she smells so good or whatever it is. When I'm there, I'm in my feminine. I've lost ground. But however, if I can feel all of that pleasure in my body and my heart and my nervous system, but stay grounded in consciousness, consciousness is going to inform me what the right thing to do is. Oh, right thing to do will be not tonight. Let it go a little while longer. Right. Yeah, so yeah. if you, if you're, like you said, you're tethered to that universal intelligence, God, whatever mm -hmm. you want yeah. to call it yeah. with your masculine energy and you're coming from that witness state you're able to observe the impulses of your emotions your bodies your hormones her pheromones all of that all stuff that. and have maybe the ability to be a bit detached from it and not just be instantly yeah <laughs> instantly at the at the yeah. at the mercy of it yeah. right yeah swept away is the way yeah that like. swept away yeah, that, yeah. To that yeah. totally yeah. makes sense i mean this is one of those things that just you know age-old wisdom i remember my dad i mean god this is going back when i was like in my 20s you know if you meet a girl that you're really interested in luke you don't have sex with them. Just wait and really get to know them to make sure they're, you know, an appropriate partner and stuff like that. And I was like, that's great advice for you. Have fun with that. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I want to go there as soon as humanly possible, you know, uh, to figure out whether I like them, you know? And mm. so 
the pattern that I've been looking at, it's, uh, you know, late in the game to discover, but better late than never is just that that leading with the intimacy and not having those boundaries and going into sex too fast has inhibited my ability to stay. I didn't frame it this way, but to stay tethered to reality mm-hmm. and sort of like really assess the situation. Mm-hmm. Does this serve the highest good for me and the yeah, other no. party involved yeah. Yeah. rather than just like, yeah, let's just do whatever feels good right now, which mm-hmm. is a very, not that there's right or wrong, but it's an immature approach and if it worked i'd be all for it but what i found is it actually it's <laughs> i don't get the desired result right you know in right. terms of like a healthy sustainable long-term relationship you mm. know it's like it tends to um end in somewhat of a crash and burn scenario because things are revealed later that i was unable to see in myself or just not even that the person was a bad person the wrong person just that there was an unhealthy dynamic or you know incompatibility in terms of uh, our values or goals in life down the road all that stuff sort of emerges at like the nine month mark the 12 month mark yeah. and you both sort of like pull your head out of your ass and go wait who are you, <laughs> you right. Know? Right. and we all have a tendency to sort of hide who we are mm-hmm. to a degree because we don't want to show the you know the the rough spots that the dents you know and, and the chinks in the armor that might cause the other person to abandon us or judge us or whatever it is you know so i'm i'm totally on board and in fact i have made a decision that for well i guess i got five months to go i'm going six months celibate no dating no texting mm. no flirting no sex awesome nothing i love that practice I think i've we never done about, that i think we talked about it last time we talked about okay, like maybe that's where i got the year. idea yeah. i thought i thought yeah. of that genius yeah. idea but i really just wanted to reset and just go you know i have some patterns man that i i don't like i'm not i'm not fulfilled in this area of my mm-hmm. life so i thought you know i'm just going to stop everything and kind of reset and refocus and god willing man when i re-engage I would really love to actually, I mean, I hate the term dating because I don't like going on dates, but I'd like to get to know some people that I'm interested in for a period of time before getting intimate, just to see what happens. You know, what if you actually, this, you know, if my dad over here is going to be like, I told you that when you were 24, you know, (laughs) but it's like, what would happen if you actually became intimate with someone on a non-physical, non-sexual level and did so with boundaries and, you know, a certain degree of wisdom and awareness and see what develops out of that. And, you know, I've only done that one time in my life, and that was the longest and healthiest, and I would say most fulfilling relationship I ever had. Because mm. we were friends for a few months, maybe six months, and then it just sort of, the thing happened, you know? Well, even even then, I mean, if a man is taking the time, and I think every guy should at some point in their life do it, take... Can a sick- guy do that if he's like... <laughs> it's, it's I feel like a young guy is not capable of that you almost know? not almost not yeah. they're always in their 30s and 40s yeah but if you can do that a couple things will happen if you can in the next five months become a leader of your own feminine so for the first thing in masculine practice is we realize that our relationship to the feminine starts with our own thoughts emotions closures vulnerabilities and so my ability to be with my own feminine my own grief, my own sadness, my own fear, all of that to not make it wrong, to literally shepherd my own feminine into the part of me that feels broken, the part of me that yearns, the part of me that's heartbroken. If I can be with my own feminine like that, then I have the capacity to be with the feminine like that. And I think most guys don't actually take that time to be like, I have to learn how to lead, shepherd, husband, my own feminine. 
And I really have no business like trying to lead another feminine creature into depth and surrender and all the things that, that we want to give them and they want from us if I can't do that for myself. Damn, that's yeah. deep, bro. Yeah, I've been experimenting with that. I didn't frame it that way or know necessarily what I was doing, but just in terms of dealing with grief, sadness, anxiety, fear, just normal human emotions that I would tend to think are negative emotions for me, like the undesirable emotions. Um, so say like, you know, I'm having to surrender an attachment to a person or a job or whatever mm -hmm. it is, rather than using my phone, cigarettes, ice cream, sex, like any number of different ways that I can like, you know, push those feelings to the side. I've really been working on practicing, just walking through the eye of the fucking storm, dude. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I'll just be sitting there reading or meditating and I'll think the thought, you know, that brings up some degree of grief or hurt. And rather than pushing it away, I literally just sit there and let it overtake me. Mm -hmm. Just sort of as a practice in coming to the realization that it won't kill me, no matter yeah. how uncomfortable I get at times. Would that fit within the yeah, paradigm I mean, that's, of that's that's the essence the way of, you're framing yeah, it? Yeah, that's the essence of it is you I would say you your masculine knows right? Your intuition, your, your connected connection to consciousness knows that I need to feel this fully. And so you create a container. I'm just going to feel it for five minutes or a half an hour or however long I feel it. I'm going to feel it fully. That's a way of your own internal masculine actually honoring your own internal feminine. And so at least in the way that I look at all of this, there's a constant sort of yin and yang within us and we have to master it within us before we can start to master it in relationship. Right. Yeah. So this is where you get drama in a relationship. So say I haven't cultivated the ability to be embodied, to have my nervous system in tune, to have the courage and the sort of wherewithal to withstand these emotional outbursts. If I haven't mastered my feminine energy and I go into a relationship mm -hmm. with a predominantly feminine energy, right. then my feminine is going to er erupt. Yeah. yeah hers is going to engage with that, be right. triggered by that. And then you have arguments or jealousy or just yeah. drama. She can't trust you because you're not, you, you aren't <laughs> right. able to rest. If you can't manage your own feminine, she's going right. to intuitively feel he can't manage mine. Like I can't show him all of me. Right. I can't show him the part of me that's scared or crazy or jealous, or I can't show him angry, rageful. I can't show him my whole heart. Cause look at him. He can't even handle his own. They aren't thinking this, but it's definitely, that's what's happening is, yeah. is they're just, they're just intuiting like, whoa, this guy cannot handle all of me. So they'll either get turned off or repulsive or repulsed or just kind of start to drift away or they'll get, they'll lash out in other ways, which is what often right. happens because they don't feel met. Right. right? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, 
and your future. Here's the deal though, space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15 minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. Okay, so we've dipped into one of the six pillars. Give us the six pillars, what they are, and then let's dive into those a little sure. bit. Sure, I'll, I'll just give you them, and then you cool. pick one that you want to talk okay, about. Okay, cool. So the first one is, um, is like we talked about, develop this personal practice. This is the a practice of essential masculine, essential feminine, right? For the feminine, which we haven't talked about, it's really opening your body to express love light. And the more that, uh, I mean, you just see certain, certain women are really, and men are just have love coming through them. I was at a workshop a couple of weeks ago with a guy, I think he's bi, I, I couldn't tell, I didn't ask, but super grounded man, also just capable of like love coming out of every pore. Like there was no closure in his body, the way that love was moving through his body. And so the feminine practice throughout the years has been, how do I express love through my body? Masculine practices, how, how do I rest as consciousness? And so the first pillar is to develop those capacities. The second pillar is to learn how to conduct what the other would consider love through the body. So if I'm in my masculine, if I'm an essentially masculine man, what I'm wanting through my partner is the experience of, of love, of all kinds of the, the rainbow of feminine energies. That's how my nervous system will experience love. So if I, if I, if I want to make a woman happy or a feminine partner happy, I have to learn how to express consciousness through the body, through the body. I have to learn and, and love through the body. So it's a kind of an extension of this idea of strengthening your body and literally opening your body so that all of these energies can be felt through the room or you walk into a room or you're with a partner and she could feel my love. People don't realize that these, I could put you in front of a, I could put you in front of a partner and she could give you numbers like you know, six, seven, ten, as to how much love she's actually feeling come through you. And you'll I got to get in some of these workshops, find, dude. You'll find it. <laughs> she'll, say, she'll say, she'll say, okay, I want you to breathe a little deeper. And then you'll, you'll find you'll, you're able to go from a five to an eight. Or she'll say, cock your, you know, don't cock your head, have it come straight. Or soften your chest or relax the muscle. You know, she'll give you feedback. And you'll actually feel your body capable of conducting more love. It's true yoga. It's yoga. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's the second pillar. The third pillar is to create containers. And I think this is mainly the masculine's responsibility where you can have um, empathy, you, where you value empathy and open communication over contempt. So these are the kinds of practices and containers, Mago Dialogues, one nonviolent communication. There's a whole plethora of them that allow you to clear projections and craziness and your neurosis and your, what you're making up about each other and what you're projecting on each other and what you resent each other for. Like all of that has to be, there has to be a container for that. Like an agreement that- Like an agreement for a, a space to communicate about yeah, that? Yeah, okay, and the yeah. practices to communicate. Cause we can uh, say, yeah. hey, we're gonna communicate. But Dangerous. If, if, there's not, if there's not like a structure, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Where like, I'm going to talk for three minutes and then you're going to reflect back and then right. I, you're going to tell me that what I feel makes sense. And then you're going to try to empathize with me. Right. So those practices are like super important to get from the level that you're talking about. Like uh, my intuition is that you'd benefit from those because they get you from the first, that stage of the love juice of the first couple of years 
through the real deep experience of being with somebody. For our listeners and viewers, could you give a brief brief description of nonviolent communication and uh, imago? Yeah, yeah. Let me do the imago because that's the okay. one I'm really passionate about. Okay. So when breakdowns start to happen in relationship, it's normally because one of us is making the other wrong for how we think or feel. We're basically saying, no, 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 you're wrong for thinking that or you're crazy for thinking that. We're either outright saying it or we're turning away from them or we're cutting them off. We do some form of like making them wrong. So we need a container where I can come to you and I can say, you know, Luke, um, if I was your partner, I could say, you know, when you said you were going to be doing, do this for me and you didn't, um, I lost trust in you and it made me scared about you as a man and as a partner and I just didn't know what to do. And so I flirted with this guy and got a hit that way or whatever. She could come to you and say all these things. You would then reflect back to her like, oh, well, when I didn't do this, you lost trust in me and you felt like you questioned me as a partner and you decided to flirt with the waiter. Did I get it? And so you, you reflect back to her what she said so clearly that there's no like crazy making up shit. <laughs> what you think she said, you know, it's yeah. crystal clear. Yeah. And then you'll keep going until she clears everything she needs to clear. And at the end, you'll say, is there more? And she'll say, no, that's it. And you'll look at her and you'll say, okay, that makes sense. Like, you're not crazy. Like, if I were you, I, I'd feel the same way. Right then, just if we did that with each other, like, Dude. it would solve so much shit, man. I mean, it would make life so much smoother. I went to a couples therapy retreat at a place called Onsite out uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, a few years ago to try and save a relationship that was failing. And that was one of the communication tools that they taught us. And I don't know that we adopted it enough. Maybe it could maybe it could have saved us, maybe not, but I'm aware of that now and I can see when that type of communication is not at play, how things escalate and how, you know, like just like it's the, like the telephone game. Like right. I could say, "Oh, John, um, you know, I was I need to tell you I was really pissed cuz I came home tonight and you hadn't done the dishes." Mm -hmm. And then and then you as the partner would be like, I do all this. Like you just get defensive, right. but I always wash the car. Right, it's right. like, we, we, you didn't even, you missed the whole thing that I just said. Right, you know, right. it's like, that's a, a, a really, uh, right. you know, minute which, which example of it. Wrong. It's a way of but making But it's so, it's so crazy how like we literally don't hear what the other person's saying. I think because the ego sort of flares up and you're already building your defense and your ears just like tune out what's actually being said. And it's such totally. a, such a rad tool. Because dude, yeah. when I do that, like, I'll try to repeat back what my partner said. And she's like, no, that's not what I said. Like you're making up a bunch of other weird stuff. Right. Here's what I said. And then I'll do it a few times until I actually get, mm -hmm. you know, the mirroring of yeah. what was actually said. Yeah. Well, then she can feel safe. When we add our own words or twist it a little bit, then she's like, no, 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 that's not what I said. And, and it becomes, <laughs> yeah. she won't feel safe now in the rest right. of it. And so the third piece of Imago um, is this, is empathizing. So after I've said that what you're feeling makes sense and you're not crazy for it, then I can say, wow, I can imagine given what I know about your parents, like when I don't keep my word, you know, it probably triggers something really deep in you. And I really like, I try to feel you, like how does this impact you? And I build that muscle of empathy. And if you do that over and over again, and I usually give couples like a 40 day challenge, I, I go like sadhana on it and I'm like, it, you're doing it every day for 40 days and you're just clearing anything that needs to be cleared, any withhold, any resentment, any fear, anything like that. 
And by the end of it, they've got these really beautiful, first of all, they've trained their nervous systems to actually listen. Second of all, they've, they've trained their, their hearts to empathize. Because what we've discovered is that the number one killer of relationship is contempt. Contempt is the lack of empathy. Now, if we practice empathy a few times a week with each other, and I'm really trying to feel you, and I have a structure that makes it safe for me to really do that, and then I know you're going to do it for me too, that's a game changer. I, yeah. I, I have not, I mean, very few couples that really put it into practice um, fail. They really need it. And for people listening, the way I understand it is you can, can't you search online for like a certified Imago therapist mm -hmm. yeah. and then you can go in yeah. as a couple or even a single probably and, and learn how to communicate in, sure. in yeah, you fashion? Sure. You can learn that. I, I teach it to most every couple that I work with. And oh, cool. There's other people who do it. So I have some videos on it. If they contact oh, me, or I'll, awesome. I'll shoot it to you and you can give it to your listeners. And cool. Yeah. I, I would love you know, a hundred thousand people. Can you imagine to if use they, if that Imago. became like a rule in politics, <laughs> you know? I mean, or I, in court use it with their kids know? and it changes everything. Ooh, that's yeah, a really good parenting yeah. tool. I bet. Huh? Totally. I do it. My, I, I had to sit down for two hours with my daughter once and she had to just lay into me about all the things that she was mad at me about from childhood on. And all, I mean, I wanted to defend so bad. I was just like, we were out at sushi and, and it just seemed like it never ended. Like her list just kept going and going and I just had to keep repeating back. And you want to talk about every, that was probably the hardest dialogue I've ever done where I just had to keep relaxing and try to open my heart, and not defend. It was true spiritual practice. I mean, that's really good spiritual practice when I'm saying I, what your experience is more important than my interpretation of your experience. And I right. really can, you can really feel that in me. That, that that creates a deep level of trust and a deep safety that couples can grow from. It doesn't matter how great your sex is. If you've got that underlying like nervous system, you know, your nervous system is fried all the time because you don't know who's showing up or whether it's safe to have a feeling. Yeah. And uh, once you get defensive and you feel attacked, then all logic goes out the window. That's how it is for me. Like the minute I feel like I'm like, wait, okay, what did she just say? Right. No, I'm going to show her how she's wrong. Right. Then it's like, I don't know if it's a hormonal thing, but my brain just basically shuts down at that point, you know? And it's like, I just become <laughs> like brain dead. And I get mm. like no further progress is going to be made in terms of coming to a resolution. Well, that's, that's your feminine, right? And so we need a container. So if you think of the it's mine too. I mean, all of us guys get really defensive. So any emotion, any reaction is the feminine. And I'm trying to be really clear about so yeah. that they can be, they, these, any reaction we have is the feminine. So good leadership in a relationship is for me to say, okay, I'm going to be insane about this. You're going to be insane about this. Let's create a container, which is the masculine, a container to hold both of our crazy neurotic selves and we're going to have a structure and then that way we can take it all we can bring all of our stuff all of our emotional bodies all of that and really have a safe structure for it and if you think about it that's just good masculine structure you know whether it's like the 12 steps or any kind of good recovery is about structure which is the masculine so that's why for me it's so important that there's agreed upon rules about how we're going to communicate how we're going to make agreements, how we're going to say expectations. One of the great practices that I use is like, here's what I expect from you. 
we're going on vacation for two weeks. Here's what I expect. Wow. Yeah. And so it, rather than rather than having secret expectations right. on on right. an engagement and then when they're not fulfilled because the other person has no idea that you even have them, right. then get resentful because right. your expectations weren't met, right? Right, right. Which is like, that's called, you just paid a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's a whole bunch of these practices, but I think that in modern relationship, we're so sophisticated. It's the first time in history where we don't need each other. Women don't need us to have children or make money or even keep themselves safe. It's not like it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago masculine value now is about us being able to take them someplace they can't take themselves and our capacity to take them deeper into consciousness deeper into sexual openness deeper into trusting their own hearts that is where our value is going to be in the coming years because it's not going to be in oh i make the money <laughs> if we don't as the masculine if we're unable to cultivate that and that's the value that we're able to bring now since we're not needed as breadwinners anymore then we're going to make ourselves obsolete in relationships yeah, basically if we're unable to bring that right, right? that's my argument i mean ultimately now this is going to play out over the next 100 200 years if we make it but that's kind of where we're going more women are graduating college more women are getting into med school more women are becoming lawyers it's literally in 50 years the rise of the feminine will be in full bloom and our innate gift is going to be about consciousness and it's going to be about depth and it's going to be about taking the feminine into places as they're getting more and more masculine they're hungry this is already happening they're hungry for men who know how to artfully move them from the masculine that they have to be in during the day into love right into like a full surrender and our capacity to do that is directly linked to our capacity to lead, right? And our capacity to lead is linked to all the things that we've been talking about today. Sorry to have to cut you off there, folks. But as I said in the intro, this is a two-hour and 44-minute interview with John. So we had to cut this into two parts. We just ended part one. And uh, I just recorded the intro and realized that I couldn't you know, remember his partner's name that put on that workshop. And then, of course, now that I'm doing the outro, it came to me. So I want to give huge props to Kendra Kunov who was John's um, you know, partner in crime leading the workshop that I was so enthusiastic about in the intro. So I want to thank you so much for joining me. I would also like to encourage you to share this episode with friends that are interested in improving their relationships. This show is growing. It's making it possible for me to devote more of my time and attention to it. But it really depends on you, the listener, to help me get this thing out there. So I'm creeping up on uh, 700 something thousand downloads. My goal is to hit a million by the end of the year. I think I'll be able to do it with your help. So seriously, take a moment, text a friend, forward this to them, screen grab, put it on Instagram. Do what you can to help me promote guests like John Wineland and the show. I think John's contributing so much to humanity at the moment, and I'm doing my part to help that happen. So thank you so much for tuning in. I want to encourage you strongly to tune in this Friday for part two of two with John Wineland, and you get to hear the rest of the conversation. If you think you might forget, you know what to do. Make it easy. Subscribe to this podcast. So bing, it gets automatically uploaded to your device or computer. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back in your ears this Friday.